Last week I expounded on, on this uh, subject matter of why Jesus' disciples were so quick to follow him. Uh, as you may recall, and our, and our messages are online, but last week I, I mentioned how when Jesus was calling his disciples, it said uh, that he said, follow me, and immediately they just left their jobs right in the middle of their shift, and, and they just they left, and immediately they followed Jesus, and and the reason being was that Jesus was a distinguished uh, rabbi, and he was one walking with authority, and his yoke, his interpretation of scripture was, was refreshing to these folks, and, and attracted them, but as they began to follow Jesus, they soon realized that he was no ordinary man. That there was a lot of things that were much different about Jesus than other rabbis, and but there was something totally different about him. He was saying things, and he was doing things that, that these folks had never seen another human, be doing, another human being do these things. I mean, they, they witnessed him healing sick people and, and commanding people who were crippled to stand up and walk. He was commanding people's eyes to be opened and ears to be, to be loosened. And, and he, was, he was speaking to dead people and they were coming back to life. He was telling the wind to stop and it stopped. So they're, like, they're, they're following him and it's like, man, there is something supernatural about this guy. He is no ordinary man. And, 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 and he never gave in to intimidation. He never had fear. He had insight into people's lives that's like, whoa. There is something far beyond the natural, something different about him. And friends, there ought to be something different about each of us as well. How many of you all believe that? We are Christ followers. As a rabbi, we would, again, going back to the first century, we would, we would totally embrace everything he said. And we would become like him. Okay, there's something different about him. He wasn't an ordinary man, and, and friends, neither are we to be ordinary men and women. But do the, our statements, do our words, do our actions reflect those of Jesus? Friends, they can and they ought to. Amen? We might say, well, yeah, but he was God. I'm not. Well, Philippians chapter 2 and verse 7 says that Jesus emptied himself. When he came to earth, he humbled himself. He, he set aside some of his rights as God. As, as, he was no less God. He was 100% man and 100% God, but he set aside some of his rights. And instead, he allowed the third person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit, to anoint him to live in the realm of the supernatural. Jesus openly declared the miraculous lifestyle that he lived was credited to the person of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was on his life on the day of Pentecost. This, this same Holy Spirit rested on multitudes of people and, and, and ordinary people, and they were transformed by the, the power of this Holy Spirit into a life of the supernatural, into the miraculous, just like Jesus had promised. Now friends, knowing the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives is something that we really need to get a handle on if, if we are going to fulfill our individual roles in God's plan in our generation. How many of you all believe that? We have to have a good understanding of what is the Holy Spirit doing? What is His role? What is, what is the function of the Holy Spirit? A lot of people think the Holy Spirit is like the force field of God or an influence. The Holy Spirit is a person. 
we read a description, a descriptive passage revealing the characteristics of the person of the Holy Spirit that would be upon Jesus and later upon His followers is found in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 11. We read of, of seven different facets of the Holy Spirit. And I'm, I'm not going to get through them all today. But these are descriptive phrases. These are words. These are characteristics. These are traits of the person of the Holy Spirit. And Isaiah wrote in his opening verses of chapter 11, he said, there shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse. He's talking about a descendant of Jesse, which was the father of King David. And a branch shall grow out of his roots. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding. The Spirit of counsel and might. The Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. We have this in this, just these couple verses. There's seven different traits, seven characteristics of the person of the Holy Spirit. It starts off with this first one. The Holy Spirit is referred to as the Spirit of the Lord. The Spirit of the Lord. You know, when we look into our Bibles, we see many different examples of spirit beings throughout the Scriptures. Different, different spirit beings within creation. We read of angelic beings that were created. We read of, of demonic spirits. Spirits that are unclean or evil or dark. We read of these types. We also read of the spirits of people. We each have a spirit. And so the Word of God talks about different spirits. The Holy Spirit is not a created being, though, but the Creator. The Holy Spirit is the Creator. The Holy Spirit is, is God. He has a personality. He has emotions. He has a will. He, he, he speaks. He listens. He's, he's a person. He's personal. And He wants to get to know each one of us intimately. Very intimately. This is, this is his desire. In Luke chapter 3, it tells us the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus when he was baptized, when he was around 30 years old. And the following verses uh, inform us from Luke chapter 4 that Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit and he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. It almost is as though the Holy Spirit was calling the shots in Jesus' life. And friends, the fact of the matter is, Jesus did submit completely to the Holy Spirit as recorded in the Gospels. Jesus submitted to the Holy Spirit. He was modeling for us as, as, as fellow human beings this, this idea that complete submission to the Holy Spirit is not optional. It's not optional. The Spirit is the Lord. And he's to, be, he's to be trusted, he's to be obeyed, he's to be, he's to be reverenced, the Holy Spirit. I mean, friends, think about all the actions of Jesus that were, that were out of complete obedience as directed by the Spirit of God, as directed by the, by the Spirit. I think of John chapter 9 when Jesus came upon a person who was blind. And they said, who sinned, him or his parents, that he's blind? And Jesus said, no, no, no. It's that the glory of God would be revealed in him. And then remember what Jesus did? He spit on the ground. He spit saliva on the ground and he made a little mud pie. And he put it on the man's eyes and he said, now go wash. How many of you ever spit on the ground, made mud, and put it on someone's eyes? Nobody, right? He was being obedient. That wasn't just a creative thought. Hey, I wonder what I could do here that would be kind of cool. 
He was being obedient to the Holy Spirit. The Spirit directed Jesus to speak in front of a huge crowd of people who were mourning the loss of a, of a man named Lazarus. Lazarus was dead for four days. And Jesus gets up in front of this huge crowd and He speaks to the dead man. He says, Lazarus, come forth. Would you do that? If the Spirit directed you to, to go to a funeral and, and speak up and say, listen, come out of that casket. Would you do that? This is what Jesus did. He was being obedient. The Spirit directed Jesus to touch people with highly contagious diseases. Would you do that? If the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit is God, God says, go touch that person with that contagious disease. That's what Jesus did. And people were healed. People were set free. God was glorified. I think in John chapter 5, Jesus was walking near the temple and it says there was a great multitude of people who were blind and sick and paralyzed and lame. A great multitude. What is that? Hundreds? Is it a thousand people? A great multitude. And all of these people wanted to, wanting to be touched from God. They wanted to be healed. They wanted to be restored. And Jesus picks one person out of the crowd. And, and everybody in the crowd, He hones in on one. And he walks up to that person and says, do you want to be healed? And he said, I've been this way for 38 years, but nobody, nobody's going to assist me. And Jesus says, stand up and walk. What about that great multitude? There were so many people he walked right past. And he honed in on that one. He was being obedient. Would we be willing to go into a crowd of people who needed help and just focus on one by the direction of the Holy Spirit? Would we do that? You see, this is what Jesus did. We say, well, I want to be like Jesus. Friends, we need to trust the Holy Spirit. He's God. The Holy Spirit is our Lord. He is our Lord. You see, when we read through the book of Acts, we see repeatedly the believers were being instructed by the Holy Spirit and they immediately submitted to His Lordship. I know a few weeks ago we talked about the Lordship of Jesus Christ. What about the Lordship of the Holy Spirit? He's God. I think in, in Acts chapter 3, we read of Peter and John. They're on their way to the temple to pray. And they see this, this, this crippled man, and, and the Holy Spirit says, Stop, I want you to heal him. They could have said, Well, you know what? It's almost time. We got this going on. We're in a hurry. We're going to be late. But no, immediately they stopped and they looked at him and they said, We don't have what you're looking for. We don't have the silver, the gold. But in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he jumped up and he was walking and leaping and praising God. That was obedience to the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the Lord. I think in, in Acts chapter 8 of Philip, he wasn't one of the apostles, he was some, he was some guy who, who put his faith in Jesus Christ. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. He's up in the city of Samaria. People are getting healed and set free from demons and all kinds of junk. Revival, as, as some would call it, was breaking out. It wasn't really revival. It was called normal Christianity. But this is what was going on. A lot of excitement. And the Holy Spirit says, Philip, I want you to leave all the action and go out onto a desert road. i got a job for you. He didn't say, well, wait a minute, you got, you got the wrong timeline. Don't you see what I'm, what I'm doing here? No, he didn't argue with the Holy Spirit. He just went. And what happened? He met an Ethiopian eunuch on his way back to Ethiopia, and, and he, he received Christ. It was a divine appointment. 
I think in Acts chapter 10, Peter's on the, on the rooftop of the flat house and, and, and he's praying, he's seeking the heart of God. And God says, hey, there's some guys that are coming to the door. Go with them, doubt nothing. They were Gentiles. He was a Jew. Jews and Gentiles didn't mix. But he was obedient. He was obedient to the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 13, we read it in the city of Antioch. This church is alive. It's powerful. Things are happening. And, and Paul and, and Barnabas are there. They're teaching. And the Word of God says that as they were ministering unto the Lord, the Holy Spirit spoke to the church, lead, the church leaders and said, separate Barnabas and, and Paul, and they're going to go on a missions trip. So immediately they sent them out. They didn't say, well, wait a minute. No, no, no. They didn't argue. It was God was directing them. In Acts chapter 16, we read of, of the Apostle Paul and, and Timothy out on another missions trip. And they're heading this direction. They're pumped. They're excited to tell these folks about Jesus. And the Holy Spirit says, stop. Don't go that direction. Now, Paul didn't argue with them. He said, okay, we're not going to go that direction. We're going to go this direction. So they started going this direction with the intent, the pure motive of telling people about Jesus. And the Holy Spirit says, nope, don't go that way neither. So they didn't. And instead, they had that Macedonian call. Remember, they went to Philippi. And God did a great work, but they, they were obedient. Rapid obedience to the Holy Spirit is how we honor God. You see, those nudges that he gives us when we think of someone. Or maybe when we're in the store out in public and, and he highlights somebody. And, and our eyes are drawn to them. And the Holy Spirit says, go talk to them. Go pray for them. Go, go whatever it is. You see, if we don't respond, we are rebelling against God. Right? I mean, it, it's not like the Holy Spirit is the, the person who makes suggestions for us to either say yea or nay. This is God directing. So the Spirit of the Lord, according to Isaiah's passage, he was not only referred to as the Spirit of the Lord, but the Spirit of, of Wisdom. See, we tend to think of wisdom as a trait that we acquire from, from failure. And we learn, we get smarter. We should be getting smarter, right? That's, how we get, that's one of the ways we get wisdom in certain situations. Yet the Scriptures oftentimes describe the Spirit of God as the wisdom of God. I don't know about y'all, but I want to get all the wisdom I can get. How many of y'all agree? I mean, like for yourselves. Right? I'm not, forget it. Um, <laughs> but we need wisdom in our homes. We need wisdom at our workplace. We need, we need wisdom with our relationships. We need wisdom with time management. We need wisdom with our investments, with the resources that God has given us. We need wisdom in our parenting. We need so much wisdom. For some people, it just drives them crazy. You see, this deep-seated wisdom that we are desiring isn't something that we can generate on our own or we can't find it on YouTube. It's found in a person, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. In Matthew's Gospel in chapter 13, in verse 54, it says that, that Jesus came to his hometown and he taught them in their synagogue so they were, and they were astonished. And he said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? So here we have people who are familiar with Jesus. They watched him grow up. But now there's something different about him. And they're saying, where did, where did he get this, this wisdom? I would suggest this wisdom was the person of the Holy Spirit. 
You see, the Holy Spirit was giving Jesus the words to say, and the people were recognizing this is beyond a natural person's ability. There's something on this. There's something influencing the, the words that are coming out of his mouth. That, that's not natural. And they were, they were astonished. And friends, this is consistent with what Luke recorded Jesus saying to his followers. He said in Luke chapter 21, this was near the end of his earthly ministry, he said, but make up your mind not to worry beforehand what you will, how you will defend yourselves, for I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. Jesus said, don't, don't try to figure everything out. At the moment, you're going to get wisdom. I'm going to give you wisdom. Wisdom is on its way. And we see the fulfillment of this in one example in Acts chapter 6. Remember the food pantry was having problems and, and there was some conflict and they said we need to pick seven men who are full of the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom to oversee this. And one of those people was the man named Stephen. And Stephen, God had his hand all over his life and Stephen started doing miracles and signs and wonders and, and God's grace was upon him. Well, that created opposition. There was some pushback from some religious folks. How many of you all know that religious folks are the greatest source of opposition against the moves of God? They, they, were, they were up against this and they started arguing with, with Stephen. But it says in verse 10 of Acts chapter 6, but they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave Stephen as he spoke. He shut him down. This was an unschooled man, but he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And right at the right time, they're trying to discredit what he's doing. And, and they're saying, what you're doing is not of God, and it's not lining up with the program. And he started speaking to them, and they were silent. They couldn't, they, they couldn't argue with him. You see, friends, we live in a day where that, that wisdom, the wisdom of God is absolutely critical, is it not? I mean, it's, it's, so, it's so critical. Everything that we say is being critiqued. Everything that we say is being recorded, it seems like, or videotaped. We read, of, uh, uh, not we read, we see this in law enforcement. They're all wearing cameras now on their, on their, on their shirts, on their vests. So every time they make a traffic stop, it's being recorded. Everybody's got their phones out recording something. And, 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 and in the workplace, the, the many people are losing their jobs over something they said. One mistake, one comment that they could say, oh man, I wish I could just take that back. We need wisdom. We see teachers that are, that are scrutinized and they're in front of classrooms. We see, we see government leaders. We see employers. We see clergy. We see counselors. And one screw-up can, can mess it all up. And we, we see this throughout our, 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 in our society and it just seems to be growing. How about helping someone trying to sort out different interpretations of the Word of God? We need, we need wisdom. Amen? When somebody comes to us and says, well, this church believes this and this church believes that, what do you say? We need wisdom. How do we, how do we answer those things? Or someone coming to you to, to get freed from destructive habits or, or, or an abusive situation or suicidal thoughts. What do we share with them? Do we just say, well, I, I have no idea. I don't remember Jesus ever saying, you know what, you got me on that one. He had wisdom. How do, we, how do we handle those questions when somebody comes up to you and they're confused about their sexuality? And they start asking questions. Well, I don't know, I don't know about these things. And, and they start saying, this is how I'm feeling. This is, we need wisdom. We, we need wisdom. And this is found in the person of the Holy Spirit. 
So what is the key to walking in this wisdom? Friends, how about fostering our relationship with the one that demonstrated a, an amazing visual aid of wisdom? It, it's called creation. The, the spirit of wisdom established the earth in a way that is strategically designed to support life. I mean, none of us woke up this morning wondering, oh, good, there's oxygen to breathe. And it's just the right consistency to sustain my life. And oh, I, I'm so glad that the earth is tilting and it's rotating at just the right speed and, and that we're not getting a little bit stuck closer to the sun and we're all going to get fried up next week. We're not worried about those things, are we? And the oceans and the amount of volume of water in the atmosphere and how it all just works together just somehow, right? The spirit of, of wisdom behind this. Not to mention the wisdom and the design of, of plants. We, and, and we see the trees turning colors and, and the different seasons. And we look at, we look at the birds of the air and, and we hear the geese flying over. And it's like, how in the world do they get those directions straight? They're flying at night. They're flying through all these different storms. And, and you hear them honking away and they're up in the sky. And it's like, oh wow. God in His wisdom. We look at the sea creatures and all the fish and the animals that are under the, under the water living and breathing and, and doing these these amazing things. And then there's mankind. We look at the complexity of the human body. All of the, the different systems, the immune system, the respiratory system, and the, the reproductive system, and, and, and just all of these systems, the nervous system, the digestive system, everything, it all just kind of works together with absolute precision according to God's plan. Is he not, is he not wise and here's what's amazing about the Spirit of God, the Spirit of wisdom, the Spirit that has displayed His wisdom for all of creation to see wants to continue to display His wisdom through us. That is staggering. Listen to what it says in Ephesians chapter 3. In verse 8, the Apostle Paul writes, Though I am the least deserving of all of God's people, He graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. He was so humble. He's like, man, I was such a, I was such a failure. And yet, God in His grace, He's allowed me to be a tool in His hands. He says, I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the Creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. In verse 10, God's purpose in all of this was to use the church to display His wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Friends, think about that. God in His wisdom wants to display His wisdom through us to the powers and the principalities in the unseen world. How many are there? Millions? Billions? We don't know. But He wants us to... He, he takes us from the gutter... He takes us from our brokenness. He takes us from all of our screw-ups. And He puts His Spirit in us. And, and then He displays His goodness for all of creation to just stand at in awe. Like the people were standing in awe of Jesus. Wow, look at that wisdom that, is, that He's operating in. You see, friends, the Spirit of wisdom is so needed. Spirit of wisdom, we need, we need you. The Spirit of the Lord. Not only is the source of wisdom, but He's the Spirit of understanding. This is what Isaiah wrote in, in chapter 11 in those first verses. The Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of wisdom, the Spirit of understanding. Does that mean that the Spirit understands us? 
Sure, he understands us. He knows everything about our lives. He knows every detail, every concern, every thought, every fear, any anxiety. He sees our past. He sees our present. He sees it all. Does he understand us when we think that nobody understands? Yes, he understands us. He's compassionate, friends. But I would suggest the understanding that describes the Holy Spirit is what he brings to us. What what he brings to our minds. Think about how many times we've either said or thought the words, I just don't understand. Some of you may have said that this morning. I just don't understand. We say this when something doesn't go according to plan. We scratch our heads and we say, I just don't understand. Or when we see something, what we would say bad, happen to somebody good, we say, I don't understand. How come they're a victim and and they, they were so innocent? I don't understand. Or when we look at God's Word and He talks about healing and He talks about touching lives and and we pray for somebody according to God's Word and they don't get better. They get worse. It goes downhill and we say, "I I just don't understand. Every one of us has said that or thought those thoughts. I don't I don't understand. And friends, the Holy Spirit longs to bring understanding to us. He's called the Spirit of Understanding. He wants to infuse us with understanding. Remember the account of the night before Jesus was crucified? In John's Gospel, there's uh, chapters 13 through 17. It's a really intimate time. It's Jesus and his 12, and then Judas left, so there's 11. But it's in the upper room. It's called the upper room discourse. Okay, so this is just hours before Jesus is betrayed. It's his last time to have fellowship and communion with these 12 guys. And he's telling them, guys, I'm going to be leaving. I'm going to go back to my father's. I'm going to go back to my father in heaven. And, 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 and if you look through this passage, he, he was saying goodbye, but the disciples didn't understand this message of the cross, this message of death and, and, and burial and resurrection. And as you look through that, it's, it's a lot of red letter ink. It's, in other words, these are the words that Jesus shared. But where it's not red-lettered, it's it's the times when his disciples were saying, we don't get it, Jesus. Four different disciples are listed saying, we don't get it. The first one is in John chapter 13. Peter says, Lord, where are you going? Remember now, this is an intimate setting. And Peter says, where are you going? We don't get, I don't understand. Okay, so of course, Peter's the first one to ask, right? Because Peter's the one who just can't hold anything in. If something's on his mind, he brings it out, right? He's got a good track record of that. But he wasn't the only one. Next, it was Thomas. Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going, and how can we know the way? In other words, we're confused. I'm not getting it. So now you got Peter, now you got Thomas. And next, it was Philip. Philip says, Lord, show us the Father, and you know what? We'll be satisfied then. And the Lord's kind of shaking his head, I believe, and he's saying, Philip, I've been with you so long. But Philip is just saying from his heart, I don't understand. And next it was Judas, not Iscariot. But Judas says, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? You get the sense now, four different disciples, you would think, well, Jesus, did he have poor communication skills or what? No. But here you got four disciples And they're saying, we don't get it. We don't understand. We're just not comprehending this. And then in chapter 16, 
In verse 17, it says that some, this is John's gospel, so John wrote this. He was in that crowd. He said some of the disciples were asking each other, what is Jesus trying to tell us? I'm guessing that John was part of that group and he, was, he didn't want to put his name down in Scripture saying that I was one of them. So why did Jesus turn the other direction or whatever, but the guys are sitting around the table and it's like, you understand what he's saying? No, I don't understand. I don't know. And they're all shaking their heads and they're shrugging their shoulders. and We don't understand. So we got four listed by name and then we got a group. So it sounds like the vast majority of the disciples are saying, we, we don't get it. You know, we've been following this guy for three years. And yet they lacked understanding. What they lacked was the indwelling Holy Spirit. The Spirit of understanding. And you see, when you look into this account, you will notice it was during this dialogue that Jesus was repeatedly reassuring them that understanding is soon to follow. Understanding. Guys, you're going to get it pretty soon. And, and as he's doing this, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. So they're saying, we don't get it. Our minds aren't understanding what the plan is. And it's in this context that Jesus says, I will send you someone just like me, the Spirit of truth, and he will be in you. It's coming. Hang in there. I'm not going to leave you orphans. I, I, I'm going to come to you, he said. He said, the Holy Spirit, or as we know him as the Spirit of understanding as well, he will teach you all things, Jesus said. And, 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 and he will bring to you remembrance all things that I said to you. In other words, he's going to bring you understanding. In John chapter 16 and verse 7, still part of this dialogue, Jesus said, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't go away, the helper's not going to come. We can insert that word instead of the word helper. We could say the spirit of understanding. If I don't leave, the spirit of understanding is never going to come. Jesus is like saying, i got to get out of here so you guys understand. He said, but if I go, then the Spirit will come. I will send him to you. Do you see it? How Jesus is reassuring? Do we understand? Right? I hope you're understanding what I'm trying to help us understand. Because I had to understand this first too. And, and so the Lord is still helping me to understand these things. Jesus said in, in John 16, in verse 12 and 13, he said, I still have many things to say to you guys. Again, the same context, but you can't bear them right now. In other words, you can't comprehend. Sorry, guys. I love you. I know I poured my life into you, but I, there's so much more I want to share with you, but you're not, you're not going to be able to understand. But when he comes, but when, but when he comes, He's going to reveal. He's going to bring revelation. He's going to bring understanding and He will guide you and He will bring this revelation to the questions on your hearts. And what happened 50 days later in Acts chapter 2, we read of the Holy Spirit coming upon these folks. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. They started praying in tongues and they started prophesying and talking about the glorious works of God. And then it was other people saying, huh, we don't understand. Right? We don't get it. What does this mean? And so Peter's like, hey, I remember I was in your shoes just a few weeks ago. And so Peter kind of steps up to the plate and he says, hey, listen, here's what's going on. It's a fulfillment of God's plan. And he starts to eloquently share the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And he's using Scripture from Joel and back in, in David's time and the Psalms. And, and all of a sudden, whoosh, it's just coming to his mind. And he gets it. And the people got it. 
As a matter of fact, 3,000 people understood because he had understanding. And he was able to share the Gospel in such a way that, that eyes were opened. The clarity. You see, when Peter met the spirit of understanding, the Scriptures came alive to Peter. And they made sense. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He begins to open the Word of God to us. And as we read it, wow, it starts to pulsate. And we realize this is an opportunity to enter into a journey, an experience, an encounter with the God of all creation, the living God. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Our Bibles start to come alive. And the more we understand His ways, the less we say, I don't get it. The less we say, I'm perplexed. Nothing good can come out of this. Oh, we stop saying that. We, 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 stop, we stop asking God, what, what is going on here? The less we question the goodness of God. The less we doubt God. The less we, we, we question His faithfulness. The less we question the love of God. And our attitudes change. And our ways of thinking begin to change. And our confidence in Him grows and grows and grows. Which leads to deeper fellowship and intimacy with God. The Holy Spirit is more than the, what some have referred to as the active agent of the Godhead who brings us to spiritual life. He is a person who is waiting, waiting to deepen that walk with each one of us. The person of the Holy Spirit. It's amazing. I ask that you would bow your heads with me, please, for just a moment this morning. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you at this time? Perhaps the Holy Spirit is saying to you, you need to get to know me. We don't even have the Holy Spirit until we have Jesus. We have to embrace Jesus as our Lord and Savior. When we humble ourselves and when we acknowledge that we cannot save ourselves, that we are not right with God until, until we receive the forgiveness of our sins and the provisions already been made on an old rugged cross 2,000 years ago. But we have to say, Jesus... Save me, redeem me, make me the person you created me to be. I yield myself to you. And at that moment, the Holy Spirit comes and lives within us. But the Holy Spirit wants to do so much more. And, and so maybe this morning, this idea that the Spirit is God, He's referred to as the Spirit of the Lord. Are we recognizing him as God with the utmost reverence, honor, obedience, and submission? So perhaps the Lord is speaking to you about that, that he is God. We can trust him. He wants to do great things in our lives. Or maybe you, you're looking at, at the spirit of of God is the spirit of wisdom and, and it's easy to say, you know what, I need more wisdom in this area of my life or, or that area of my life. 
but are we pressing into the source of wisdom? Imagine if every area of our lives were filled with the wisdom of God. That's true freedom. Wisdom will be released as we open up every door of every area of our lives in complete submission to the Holy Spirit. His wisdom is released by his still small voice. Speak into the ears of our heart. So maybe for you, you're saying, Spirit of God, I surrender every area of my life. I want to know you more. Fill me with your wisdom. Help me to recognize your voice. Or maybe it's the facet of the spirit of understanding. and Maybe you're having a challenge comprehending the word of God. You read the Bible and it's like you're reading something that it just isn't making sense to your mind. Or maybe you're having a hard time comprehending the plans of God, the purposes of God, and you're asking yourself why repeatedly. The spirit of understanding is available to bring these areas into focus. We don't need to live out our lives like a giant jigsaw puzzle with just three shades of blue and no picture to help. If your mind is on a treadmill of questions each day, it doesn't have to stay that way. The understanding you so desire is found in a person. His name is Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would give us a hunger for you. Because we know that when we are in a deeper fellowship and intimacy with you, we will be transformed and conformed into the person of Jesus Christ in our generation. And he will be glorified. We know that's your desire. So we ask that you would put that desire deep within each one of us. Holy Spirit, have your way. In Jesus' name.